now I didn't watch the movie for the same reason that it took me a long time to get around to the show. And it's kind of petty, but I hate the title. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Alex. And this is M. Welcome to the latest episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic. This is the podcast for TV lovers, movie buffs, and binge watchers of all ages. On this podcast, we'll be discussing what we loved, what we hated, and what's just a bit problematic about the TV and movies that we're addicted to, and do a bit of rewriting where necessary. For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Today we're discussing the Netflix original series, Dear White People. Based on the satirical dark comedy film of the same name, Dear White People uses the fictional Ivy League of Winchester University to explore race relations among the student body and America at large. With each episode focusing on the personal life and inner world of a different character, Dear White People attempts to explore ideologies, loyalties, and motivations in a complex way. So did the series succeed? Stay tuned. everyone here are some critical details about dear white people the series is classified as a comedy drama and satire it was created by justin simeon and it was released from april 28 2017 until the present the fourth and last season will be released on september 22nd of 2021 it is a netflix original and so far, it has a total of three seasons and 30 episodes, but it will conclude at four seasons and 40 episodes. The series stars Logan Browning as Samantha White. She's our one of our protagonists, a, a campus social justice activist. Brandon P. Bell as Troy Fairbanks. Uh, Bell reprised this role from the film. He is a poli-sci student. Um, a student body president and leader of the Coalition of Racial Equality in the Student Union. He is the son of the Dean, Walter Fairbanks. Deron Horton as Lionel Higgins, a student reporter. Antoinette Robinson as Colandrea Connors, a.k.a. Coco. She's Samantha's nemesis. John Patrick Amadori as Gabe Mitchell. He is Sam's main love interest. Ashley Blaine Featherson as Joelle Brooks. This is a role that Featherson reprised from the film where she was credited only as Curls. She is a member of the Black Student Union and co-host of the radio show, Dear White People. Mark Richardson as Reginald Green, AKA Reggie. He's a computer science major and an activist in the Black Student Union. Our recurring and guest characters include Giancarlo Esposito as Dr. Edward Ruskins, who's also our narrator. He is a former professor at Winchester University. DJ Blickenstaff as Silvio, Lionel's love interest. Caitlin Carver as Muffy Tuttle. Ali, 
Ali Mackey as Ikumi, Oba Babatunde as Dean Walter Fairbanks, Troy's father and the Dean of the University, Brandon Black as Pastor Cordell, Wyatt Nash as Kurt Fletcher, John Rubenstein as President Fletcher, Kurt's father, Brant Doherty as Thane Lockwood, Nia Long as Nika Hobbs, Nia Javier as Kelsey Phillips. This is a role reprised from the film where she was credited only as Coco's friend. Courtney Sauls as Brooke, reprised from the film, credited as Wild. Jeremy Tardy as Rasheed Mburu in seasons one through three. Uh, Jamal Michael as Al, reprised from the film as Smooth. Franci Francia Risa as Vanessa. Alex Alchek as Milo. Quay Tan as Jennifer slash Marie Antoine Nasty. Lena Waithe as P. Nini, and last but not least, Rome Flynn as Davis, who's a character we're going to meet in season four. Let's talk about this. Now, I know this is a bit weird for you guys because we usually only discuss shows that have reached their series finale and are 100% finished. Yeah, um, and at the time of this recording, it was supposed to be finished, and then Netflix pushed back the, the season four date. So... Here we might we do a up. We might don't like don't don't hold your breath on it. But we might do a follow up um, for our patrons once season four airs. Yeah, and listen, we're not excited about season four because we are not excited about this musical. Yeah, musicals aren't really our thing. Um, from the time you're hearing this, which is going to be uh, Thursday, September twenty third, it will be a day after the fourth season premieres on Netflix. So you guys uh, go ahead and watch the first couple episodes of that and tell me whether or not we're missing... In the comments, let us know if we're missing out on anything by not watching season four. Yeah, because I personally... Like, I really don't want to watch the musical. Because <laughs> it's... I really don't want to do it. I don't want to hear singing and dancing for ten episodes. Like, I can't do it. I really can't. And it's so weird to people that I hate musicals as a music lover. But I'm like, there's a time and a place for that. And there's a duration for that. For that. Exactly. I think that's particularly what... There's a duration. <laughs> also, Shade shade intended, like, music, your musicals today suck. Like, I don't, know what, I don't know what to tell you. Like, if the musical is not from the 1950s or earlier, I don't want to watch it. You guys, it's because it sucks. It just does. I mean, it just don't hit like singing in the rain anymore. It I'm doesn't hit like seven brides for seven brothers. <laughs> it, it, it just really don't. It really don't. Like, it doesn't hit like Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> it don't hit like Rodgers and Hammerstein. I just, <laughs> I'm, I, I'd be out here like, damn, I hate this. I hate how this shit sounds. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's when you guys want to do that spoken word thing where you're not even singing at one point, you're just talking to a melody. Oh, my gosh. When they want to do like rap, but then like musicals, it hurt like I the anger, the rage that I feel. <laughs> like, you know, that meme of the little dog drinking coffee in a burning room and it's like, this is fine. That's me. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> That's I like the rage, the anger. I'm just like, that's why, like, and I'll probably cut this, but that's why I kind of hated Hamilton. I was like, it's like fake rapping against musical theater music. Like, what is this? 
I hate this. I hated it. Truly, I hated it. And I was like, I guess I can't say any. But I was like, I'm I'm not gonna say anything because I guess people like it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I did hate yeah. it. Here's the thing, though, and I'm I'm dying on this hill. Y'all only liked Hamilton because a non-black person wrote those quote-unquote raps. Y'all would have dragged a black person calling that rap to hell and back and deserve it. So <laughs> I cannot. Anyway, so Justin Simeon is really interesting because he is sort of like. Issa Rae in that he his career took off in this sort of wild wild west of of YouTube and the internet because now like YouTube people making web series and putting them on YouTube or like making web series or shooting like proof of concept trailers and stuff and putting that out um on like their Twitter or their Instagram or or YouTube is now like a thing. Like it's, it is like, like it's very common back in 20. I want to say dear white people, the movie, dear white people, the movie came out in 2014 and yeah, dear white people, the actual movie came out in 2014. So, um, this would have been like 2011, I think was when that trailer went viral. Um, yeah, so, but in 2011, like, this was, like, a really new concept. Uh, obviously, Issa Rae with Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl with in that low-budget series, you know, took off. And Justin Simeon is similar. So what happened is that Justin Simeon had just, I think, graduated film school, and he shot a proof-of-concept trailer Uh for Dear White People. He didn't even have, I don't think he even had a script yet. He just, you know, shot this trailer with um, Tyler James Williams, who is, you know, the the lead in Everybody Hates Chris, and had this, and I don't even think you can find the trailer now. I think you could probably find it on the deep web, interwebs probably, I'm sure. But it was just this trailer, and it was, you know, and the trailer's great, like, and it's really, you know, it's a piece of marketing genius, because it starts out with essentially what we will now know on the on the movie, and then now on the show, uh, Sam's radio program. Dear white people, don't touch my hair anymore. And, and the trailer was great. And it went viral. Went viral. Um, really blew up. And from that trailer and, you know, having it have however many million views and being really um, sort of popping this cultural zeitgeist, uh, he then went on to make the film, which is Dear White People, which I think got a, which ended up going to Sundance um, and winning like a jury prize, I think of like breakout feature film. And, um, after Sundance, I think it got like a limited release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it got a limited release in New York and LA. And the movie is good. It's it's pretty good. I liked it. Did you ever see it? Mm-mm, I didn't see the movie. Okay. Um, I saw the movie. I liked the movie. Uh, the movie's good. It's decent to me. Um, starring Tessa Thompson and and once again Tyler James Williams. 
uh, and Tiona Paris as Coco Connors. Uh, uh, and, um, yeah. And, and then, yeah. And so then after the, and then after the movie, it was then expanded into the show. Um, the show starts off as I would say like the show, like that pilot, the show's pilot episode does a really good job of essentially recapping the movie and the first sort of few beats of the pilot in the, in the subsequent second episode is really like a retread of the movie. Um, and, and then it, it just, it sort of expands on all of the, the topics and the ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. I didn't see the movie, but I do. I am glad that this became a show because I feel like a lot of the the topics that are touched on simply couldn't be done justice in the span of 90 minutes. Um, Now, I didn't watch the movie for the same reason that it took me a long time to get around to the show. And it's kind of petty, but I hate the title. (laughs) (laughs) I hate the title of anything activist or activism related that addresses and centers white people. So the title, it was really off-putting to me. Um, it was very cringe, just kind of eye rolly. But when we put it on our calendar for this off to college season, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna give this a shot. I'm gonna see what there is to see. And personally, no shade, no tea. Um, I like Logan Browning as an actress, um, uh, slightly better than Tessa Thompson. So <laughs> when I heard that Tessa Thompson wasn't gonna be on the show. I was re- I was more inclined to watch the show. Oh no! <laughs> Sorry, girl. It's like, interesting because I I think I actually like Tessa Thompson's Sam better than I like Logan's. I mean, it's all a matter of preference, right? Um, I like Tessa Thompson in certain things. Um, she wasn't giving me college student even in the trailers, so I I couldn't wrap my head around that. Those were kind of difficult for me. I also like the fact that Ashley Blaine Featherson was joining the cast because I've loved her ever since the web series Hello Cupid. If you're watching this, please bring back Hello Cupid. I need a resolution. Like, I can't sleep some nights and I think about this web series still. Um, also, Issa Rae, if you're listening to this, please bring back Dorm Diaries. Like, please. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't sleep at night thinking about that web series. Um but yeah, so I gave the show a chance. And honestly, I'm glad that I gave the show a chance. It's interesting watching this dynamic play out at an Ivy League university, which is really, you know, just an upper echelon private white institution, right? And I don't think we've ever had a show that actually covers how Black students are treated at Ivy League colleges. Right. Like, it is... Yeah, I will say, like, it is clever. I Or something I really love about this first season is that I do think this dynamic... Um, this dynamic of all the Black students at in this predominant... Like, being a microcosm, you know, this community within a community, uh, and but this community within a predominantly white community, it, it all feels honest how it's all playing out. Um... Mm-hmm. And it it feels honest. It feels good. It doesn't feel good, but it feels um, accurate. 
Right. And all of the sort of, I think, subtleties of how people are, how these students are treated and then how they react to those treatments um, feels accurate. Right. Um, I agree with that. I I do feel like this the, it was well thought out. There was definitely some consultants on board and in the writer's room. It doesn't feel completely out of touch with the uh with the Gen Z college experience. Right. Yeah. So let's jump into this trailer. Season one, episode one. We meet Sam. And she's hosting this party. Um, well, she's filming this party. Um, and it's hosted by the white students. Um, Specifically pastiche, which is uh, sort of a nod to um, Harvard's, like, I think, I, I forget, like, Harvard, they call it, like, Higgy Bottoms. But it's, like, Harvard has, like, a comedic magazine that, like... Um, that's also really famous that like a bunch of like uh that like a bunch of like comedians and SNL and people who go on to have really huge careers in comedy also like come come out of that like social that club essentially. I'm honestly shocked that anything good came out of a publication called Higgy Bottoms, but <laughs> but I digress. Uh so yeah, I I definitely think it's like a nod to that because again, Winchester is not a real school, it's not a real Ivy League, so we're borrowing from a lot of different Ivy League influences here. I feel like Winchester is supposed to be like an amalgam of Harvard, Yale, and Columbia. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's supposed to be like some sort of Harvard, Yale. And I'm sorry, that's my it, that's it was my mistake. It's called. Harvard's like comedy magazine that pastiche is sort of based off that like is the inspiration for pastiche. It's called Hasty Pudding. My 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 Hickey Bottoms was better. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> oh God. Um I can't believe it's actually worse. <laughs> so anyway, um uh, they um uh, Samantha basically, uh, her radio show gets replaced, and she basically rants about the racism on campus, um, which is something. Now, this is a, this is what we call having your ear to the ground. Students at PWIs, particularly Ivy Leagues, have been talking about the racism on campus for years on social media. Right? She, the Sam character is giving voice to all of those people that have ever complained about their raggedy, racist-ass PWI. Yes. Like, yes, that, I mean, that's a point. Yes, they're, they, I think the, sh the show does a good job with setting up the, essentially, the history of, of this, 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 past, these pastish because they talk about how the pastiche parties um, are an annual event and they've been going on for as long as the, the school has been around, which because it is like a, a Harvard, Yale, it, it's like since the 1800s, right? And so then the show shows you then the these um, multiple parties, these, these multiple racist offensive like Halloween parties that they've been throwing. And the... The conceit is that this 
this latest party, which is the blackface party, was a party that the was was a party that they were going to do. It was another one of these racist parties that they were going to do, and they were all set to send out the invitation. And but after Kurt, who is the head of of pastiche, um, spoke with uh, the administration. It was it was canceled. He succumbed to whatever they said, and it was canceled. But somehow, mysteriously, the invite to the blackface party went out anyway. Um, and then, when the invite went out, the invite went out anyway. And then people showed up. Now nobody <laughs> knows, and so that's where we are: is that people showed up anyway. And then Sam is filming this party. But right now, the mystery um, is that who sent out the invite to the party uh, because it wasn't Kurt um, because he had like had said that he'd been told no and, and was acquiescing with that request. So that's sort of where we start. Our pilot is in the aftermath of this blackface party that is now like sort of shook the campus. Right. And even the existence of the party is kind of a big deal because literally every famous white male public figure has a photo of himself in his early 20s at a blackface party in college like every single one and that was something that the i think that was inter- that the show says in the dialogue and i think it oh, it bears repeating it's like people still do this <laughs> like y'all still do this in 2021 like, it's not like these blackface parties are a thing that, like, nobody... Like, y'all do it for a reason. White children really love doing this for some reason. They do it. They love it. They live it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the note that we're on right now is just how racist this institution is, how they've been getting away with this sort of racism because it's kind of been kept, like, it's been kept out of mixed company, right? It's not something that's really public knowledge, to the non-white students on campus. It's not even public knowledge to all of the white students. So it's a very exclusive, incredibly racist, invite-only party. Um, and I think that's what makes it so sinister. Like, you guys know this is fucked up. Yeah, and it's like... And, it, and I guess this is where the show... It's like, this is where, I guess, we start to wade into... Fu- like fuzziness for me with the show because it's like I thought that like they all sort of know about it they're just they just all sort of deal with it like whatever it is that like everybody knows that this party is held like this 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 pastiche party is held every year and when I it's that everybody knew it was held but nobody knew exactly when it was going to be or where the location was See, and and that's the thing. It's like I thought, like, and and yeah, that's unclear, because when I mean, obviously they figure it out because Sam, like, so it's eventually re- revealed that like Sam is the one that found the in, that broke into Pastiche's account, found the invitation and sent it out anyway to see what would happen, and um, so that makes sense in in terms of like how she shows up. But it doesn't make sense how everybody else shows up. Like how Lionel and Coco and Troy get there as well. Unless it was sent out to them too. 
which then if they are on the email list, that would mean everybody every year is on this email list to, to, to receive this party invitation. Well, it could be like, you know, how email directories are set up by like group. Like you have like one for like the campus uh, newspaper, pastiche, uh, this board this group that coalition and then you have a directory for the entire student body the fact that i have to think about it this hard is is it's a failure of the writing <laughs> true <laughs> like, i argue that this is very true we shouldn't have to think about I, it this i hard. shouldn't have to think about it this hard but anyway it's that's that's the point it's the aftermath of this this black face party and so we're introduced to sam and um uh sam and then like the the different black groups on campus uh and part of sam's like little because we have like the black student coalition bsu and then they have the aasu and then you have core and then you have a black af uh, affinity like something um and these are the different black groups at winchester university and and this is like the they're going to be like our, they're going to be where all of our characters are are pulled from. Um, the Black Student Union, which is the group that Sam and Joel and Reggie and Lionel are a part of. Well, Lionel isn't really with anybody. He sort of just floats. But that group is, um, I don't know, like, I don't I Something that I like about this setup of the different groups is that it feels very like Mean Girl. It it categorizes all the students in a in a mean girl type of way, like the like the cafeteria scene at the Mean Girl and Mean Girls did, which I think is really smart. Right. Y'all have these separate cliques. Yeah, um, you have these separate cliques, and even and then they nail like the type of black people in these cliques like very well. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it's really funny. I want to say that my personal favorite is like the girl with the dog. Yes. She's Black Elle Woods, you guys. She is. I honestly uh, said to her to say, we're both Gemini vegetarians. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're and then we're introduced to everybody. We're introduced to Sam, Joel, which is Sam's best friend. Well, Sam's current best friend, I should say. Um, Troy, Troy, who is, you know, the the son of the dean. Of can't like who's the son of the dean of the school Coco, who was another one of my favorites. Uh, Reggie, our sort of self-important. Well, Reggie and Sam both are very self-important, but um, yes. <laughs> but Reggie, who was our uh, Reggie and Sam together, who are like I guess our campus quote-unquote activists, and then Lionel, who is um our queer black representation sort of trying to find his, his way and his niche and, and how he fits into these groups. Mm -hmm. And it's super interesting that there's so many black groups on campus because most shows would show you only like one black student union or coalition. Right. Um, Dear white people takes pains to show you that they're all black and maybe they want like, they want the same things, but they don't necessarily want to go about getting them in the same way. Right. Yes. And I, and something I love about, 
dear white people is that like you said like they really do highlight like the different types of black people or like different types of black like i guess archetype mm-hmm. archetypes um and then how they are simul and like how we are simultaneously like together and divided on on things or or happenings go- that go on this season we also get something that i really didn't think we'd ever get from a majority black show we get a gay black male character who is not femme yeah lionel he's like our one of our like larger protagonists right so we kind of do this thing in media and by we i don't mean like i mean like just media heads and it's particularly in the west where they try to make the gay person as obvious as possible. And with gay men, the way they do this is by trying to make them very, very femme or um, incredibly homophobic, like the sort of homophobic that's keeping a secret, right? Um, Lionel's just a regular guy who's gay. And it shouldn't be a big deal and it shouldn't have taken this long to get a character like this. Yeah, R- Lionel is definitely in the beginnings of um, figuring out his his sexuality and like how he fits into whatever it means to be a, a gay black man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we and, we see that in his episodes. Um, and yeah, he has a lot of black friends, um, and he is doing a lot of work, but. Um, I think that it's so important that we show queer characters involved in racial movements because so oftentimes cishet black people will try to pretend as if queer people don't do anything for the community or that uh, there isn't a, you know, a very specific, very unique struggle in being both black and queer. Yeah, and Lionel's, I mean, Lionel's interesting in that, because I think he's, he just kind of gets swept up in this thing. You know, going to the blackface party and, and you know, trashing it is Lionel's first step of standing for really anything. Because he's not comfortable in, like, these sort of, in, he's not comfortable doing the protests. He's not really even sure he wants to be in them. He's really just now sort of being like, okay, like, this is kind of fucked up and like, I'm going to like say something about why this is fucked up. Um, because when we see when he, cause Lionel's a journalism major and he writes for the paper, the independent, which is the paper on campus. And we see that sort of struggle with him of like, yes, I want to talk about how fucked up this is, but still having to adhere to, you know, white journalistic standards of like how to report on something and and making the choice of, well, do I want to do this thing, how it's supposed to be done, quote unquote, or do I want to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking from a place of, of racism is wrong. And it, maybe it reads like quote unquote bias, but I don't give a fuck. So there's a lot going on with him, like a, a lot of duality, like with, him and what he's trying to do that's really interesting and makes him really layered right agreed um we have a lot of other characters too that kind of you know put a little spice on things we have troy 
who literally creates an app that measures how woke you are, which might be the most harebrained thing I've ever thought of. But remember, this is a satirical comedy and it makes sense in context of the show. Because one thing that social media is- That's not Reggie. What? Troy does that, not Reggie? I said Reggie. No, you said Troy. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, (laughs) you're talking about Reggie. I definitely thought Reggie, even if my mouth said Troy. Sorry, you guys. (laughs) Reggie, Reggie creates the app. And um, I think it's a a cute little, uh, you know, shade on social media where people basically play woke wars. And, uh, you know, people get annexed out of certain communities for not knowing enough, being involved enough, caring enough about, like, niche projects and and going to every movement and, you know, not being in activist circles heavy enough. And I think that this app was supposed to be a commentary on that. So that was really fun to watch. Um, also, Troy... Actually, Troy this time <laughs> runs for student body president. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of there are a lot of big stories that happen. I think in this first season. So Troy runs for student body president, and at the at the um, behest of his father, who is the dean, and and um, ultimately sabotages it. Um, but yeah, there. And that's uh, another big story. So let's go through, I guess, some of the big stories uh, this this season. So let's kick it off with with Reggie, the who probably has one of the bigger arcs, um, which is that Reggie goes to another sort of on campus party with his white friends, and a fight breaks out, and then and um, well, a, yeah, a fight like kind of. It doesn't even break out. It it almost starts. And somebody, Gabe, Gabe, Sam's boyfriend, Sam's white boyfriend, calls the police because he was frightened about. And apparently she, she's doing all that talking and teach her white man anything about how to be an ally. But OK. Um, and we'll get to Gabe in a second because I actually think Gabe is such a well-written character. Uh, but Gabe calls the police and a campus cop comes and uh, points uh, a gun in, points a a gun in Reggie's face, um, of which he is naturally summarily like traumatized by. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of Reg- Reggie's like bigger arc this season is is that incident and going through. Um, everything that happens, and it's it's interesting. So the show codes Reggie is like sort of being in love with Sam, um, you know, quietly in love with her, and and yet like, and I guess we sort of see we re- and after the aftermath of that incident, we really see I think the breakdown really between Reggie and Sam, and in that like this sort of like they're both of their sort of self importantness um is the only thing that binds them together really cuz they don't really know each other they really don't 
Um, and they both have an idea of each other. Each one has a has an idea of the other, like in their head, but doesn't necessarily see to the whole person. Um, Reggie certainly doesn't give a shit about. I think you know Sam's you know interest in film and and music, and Sam certainly doesn't give a shit about. Uh, and I think uh, Sam doesn't give a shit about really Reggie's interested interest in art and poetry which we we see very quickly. Granted, she does throw it back at him. So, I mean, I guess he got what he wanted. I guess. But yeah, let's talk about how um the the whole Gabe calling the police thing illustrated to me something that's very obvious in these dynamics specifically between black people with white partners. As woke as the white black person may think there are, they are their white partner never is. And y'all need to spend Yeah. Spend- at home, teaching these people how to be better, quote-unquote, allies that they think they are. Yeah, so, like, it's interesting. One of the big criticisms coming out of season one, when season one first uh, dropped, I think, in its entirety, was that a, a problem people had was that, like, they said the show was centering Gabe, um, which I don't think is what's happening. And that's why I say I think the Gabe character is so very cleverly written because Gabe is not shit from the pilot episode. Like, I mean, he's, he, yeah, he sucks from the pilot episode. And it's weird to me that nobody like sees that. Um, and I, and not even that nobody sees it because I think the show takes great pains to show that Gabe is bullshit. Um, in the pilot, so in the pilot, uh, Armstrong Parker, which is where Sam and all of our characters live, is the historically black house on campus. Um, and every, you know, every, you know, Wednesday or Thursday or whatever, everybody in the entire house gets together to watch uh, defamation, a.k.a. scandal. <laughs> um, and it's clearly this. It's and it's just and it's clearly how this house of like extremely different black people like bond, right? It's it's a safe space. So first of all, bitch, why are you bringing your white partner to the safe space? Right. It's not even about Gabe. Sam is perpetrating. You know better. You know better. She's like you, and she invites him. I'm like, pass, and he does not get an invitation to the cookout. Like, right? You're you are unwittingly subjecting us to your white boyfriend. So that's. But that's and like you said, that's on Sam. But when Gabe comes to watch Defamation, right? Gabe like immediately, like everybody's just trying to watch, like you know, you know Olivia Pope's character just be really goofy and ridiculous and sort of do like this funny call and response to the screen. And here, and Gabe immediately is like, and Reggie, I think rightfully is like, why are you here? And Gabe's uh, reaction to that of like, why are you here? Is like, are you going to hit me? Like, what? Like, why would you assume that this person who goes to the same school as you do, right? Which is an Ivy League university. So clearly they're classed in a similar way that you are, is going to then commit some sort of violence against you for mm-hmm. like saying something for, and just off of a snarky remark. And Gabe is a Karen. Let's just call it a spade a spade. Like, and that's what I'm, there's a there's a different type of there's many different sub 
genres of racist white person, right? The one that always jumps to the conclusion that you mean them ill or that you're going to resort to violence and that they need to call the police to protect themselves from just a possibility of violence from you is a Karen and Gabe is a Karen. Yeah. And so like the fact that he assumes or he immediately puts he the fact that Gabe in his very first meeting of Reggie, he's never met this person despite the fact that this is essentially Sam's best male friend. <laughs> like he immediately assumes that like he's a violent person, which is weird and racist. Weird um, racist. And Gabe is definitely one of those guys that's proof that just because you're dating a black person doesn't mean you're not racist. Um, and that's why I think that even though Gabe is like, I think very much your sort of typical white liberal, like, identity and character um so it was so that criticism of that like Gabe is being centered I think people who think that like missed the point um it's very clear to me at least that Gabe is you know Gabe sucks Gabe's like not that great of a person yeah and I don't think Gabe is being centered I think sometimes when you have a character that's trash they're just mad naturally going to uh harnessed more of your attention like our brains are wired to focus on and accentuate the negative as a defense mechanism he doesn't get more screen time than the other characters there's no real narrative that's centered around him at most he's a catalyst for somebody else's narrative so i didn't get the impression that gabe was being centered either right yeah gabe gabe and and then subsequently gabe's friends um Gabe's white friends, although the girl looks Latinx. Um, uh, <laughs> what? Can be both. Yeah, I think she's both. Uh, are definitely, I think, are devices that the show uses to highlight the way that how even nice white people are, are very subtly racist. Um, how you're not really safe with them. They're still presuming things upon you. Uh, Sometimes yeah. it's most dangerous to be around because they presume their niceness, and that means there's absolutely no room for growth for them in their mind. That makes them next level dangerous, especially yeah. if they presume that you are not nice and that you are violent and that you are a problem that needs to be dealt with. And this is where Gabe comes in. If he was your typical violent racist jerk. Um, maybe Reggie would have got punched in the face at that party, but the cops wouldn't have been called and he wouldn't have had a gun in his face. Right. Right. <laughs> and the show tries to, and like when it's revealed that Gabe is the one that called the police on Reggie, like the show tries to like both sides it by like having Lionel say that like Lionel also would have called the police had his, uh, but he didn't because Lionel's like flight or fright, flight or fight responses freeze. Um, which I kind of hated that, but, uh, I'm like, no, just, you, you've set something up. Just stand in the truth show, stand in the truth. And this is why we'll never have another different world because modern productions are hell bent on coddling white people and holding their hands every step of the way, no matter how wrong they are. If someone's wrong, you need to let them sit in their wrong period. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So, so then that's something that happens. And then another, so other stuff uh, is, is Troy, sort of Troy and Coco um, and the relationship between Troy and Coco, Connors, Coco Calandria Connors, um, and Troy running for student body president and then uh, throwing a trash can through the window of the town hall at the end of the season. Um, Troy's an interesting character because I think he's a very familiar one in that, like, you know, most of his problems stem from, like, daddy issues. (laughs) And uh, this pressure, I think, he feels to be a certain type of person. Um, Troy is definitely not his own man. He succumbs to the whims of his, his father and that's sort of his struggle this season. And not just that, but Coco then Coco and Troy are like sort of they're in a situationship. I don't know if they're even like publicly officially dating. That's There's, definitely situationship. Yeah, they're in a situationship and she is um at least in this first season is definitely banking on him um him she's banking on him, you know, you know becoming somebody and she's she's I like, you know, I love my girl. She's trying to, she's trying to hitch her wagon to somebody, you know, she's trying to build a man without realizing that, like, she is the man. Essentially. Um, And we sort of, and we see that. And uh, there's a lot of, I, obviously I can't take the whole hour and, like, describe it, but there's a lot of subtleties in the, in the Coco Connors character and in the Troy character that plays out that's really well-written and beautiful, um, like, beautiful and, and honest and, and gorgeous that, that comes through. And and this actress, Antoinette, uh, Antoinette, I have it here in front of me. Hold on. Uh, Robinson. Yes, Antoinette Robinson. Uh Great actress, gorgeous actress. Want to see her in d- d- different stuff. Agreed, agreed, agreed. So let's close off season uh, one. How does season one of Dear White People end? So season one ends with this town hall that is held um, in response to the black face party and then the subsequent uh, cop on campus um, with the gun that happens to Reggie. And it ends with uh, some students going in and then uh, other students staging a protest outside of it, protesting the, protesting the, um, the, the town hall itself. And we end with uh, Troy throwing a trash can through the window to break up, uh, to... Uh, talk about his displeasure with the town hall as well as uh, Gabe and Sam break up once she admits that she slept with Reggie and uh, we have Lionel sort of standing up inside the town hall itself and um, taking a stand for firmly about how the administration 
is going to integrate Armstrong Parker and how they're essentially losing, the black students on campus will be losing their only safe space. <laughs> yeah, and that's how it ends. So season one, good, bad, basic. I'm going to give it a good. It was certainly better than I expected. Um, again, I don't have a problem with the Gabe character. There's no getting away from the Gabe character or a character like Gabe. They're at a PWI. This is not an HBCU where they just threw in a token white guy for kicks and giggles. White people go to PWIs. <laughs> so it makes sense to me. Even Sam's being with him makes sense to me because there's a lot of hypocrisy in the private lives of a lot of these activists. I'm not going to name any names. That made sense to me. Reggie makes sense to me. Coco makes sense to me. Troy makes sense to me. I feel like these characters were very well thought out. So I'm giving it a good. What about you? Same. I forgot how good this first season was. I think uh, these characters are so well drawn. And I think the show captures... um, the subtleties and all these different personalities and all these different types of people so well, truly and honestly, while, while also really understanding the dynamics of um, how you function in these PWI spaces, uh, like particularly like we haven't talked a lot about the Coco Connors character, which we will um, I'm sure next because she has a bigger stuff in season two, but Coco in particular, uh, so well understanding, I think, the mindset of somebody like like a Coco. Um, and also, I think I just really relate to Coco in a lot of ways. Uh, just great. Really great. Really beautiful. So it's a solid good for me. All right, let's jump into season two. Season two follows the heels of the town hall protest. Um, and we get to deal with something that a lot of activists deal with all the time. Social media trolls. Hey, online trolls. And Sam, that's what's happening right now. Reggie is still dealing with PTSD from dealing with that cop. And which is a a storyline that I'm glad they didn't let up on. Because in the grand scheme of the show, like the timeline of the show, it really wasn't that long ago. I feel like one of the the big disservices that television plays, especially modern television, is that they never let anything linger. Characters don't feel things for long periods of time, so neither does the audience. Yes. Big, uh, big agree. True agree. Yes. Um, season two is definitely about the fallout is more... Reggie's just experiencing more of the fallout of of his PTSD and and um we see Reggie go through essentially like de- like just a depression uh and having to figure out how to to deal with that. Reggie also gets an incredible white roommate this season. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie's white roommate is incredible. Now, mind you, he has good reason to be suspicious of these these uh, these European Americans. But yeah, his roommate's kind of cool. Uh, he's just like uh, if, it's it's interesting, you know. Black people are always used as like comedic relief in predominantly white shows, and it's so in- great to see it like turned. <laughs> um, and that's essentially what happens. Uh, he just does a lot of weird 
Reggie's roommate just does a lot of goofy, funny things. <laughs> um, that's all. Uh, and if I can remember some of the jokes, I'll I'll shout them out because they're you just have to watch it. It's, it's really great. Um, but yeah, like you said, so one of our big issues this season is that Sam is dealing with. Uh, there's like a new hate account uh, on campus that's specifically targeting Sam and all of Sam's efforts and uh, just tweeting really violently racist uh, neo-Nazi, not just, yeah, violently misogynistic, racist, neo-Nazi things and and to all the Black students, but targeting Sam uh, in particular. And so the the big mystery is like, who's doing it? Right. This season, I want to say at least the first half and the previous season were definitely giving me higher learning light. Um, uh, especially with the neo-Nazi angle. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of them actually recruit on college campuses. Oh, yeah. Big, big, like, yeah. So that was good to see. Also, Troy is having like a great character arc this season. Like he's coming to terms with who he is um, and like the shell of a person, kind of like the puppet that he is and really having to reckon with how he is as a person, how he's treated others, Um, especially Coco. Uh, yeah, even though their Coco is, you know, solidly broken up. They she solidly breaks up with Coco. Um mm-hmm. and my girl Coco is thriving this season. Uh, <laughs> um yeah, we get to see Yeah, like yeah, like you said, there's there's a lot coming. There's also um we see more of like Lionel this season really figuring out like, you know, I, I guess since first season was about him sort of affirming himself and in, in his blackness, this is the second season is, is really about Lionel affirming himself and his queerness. Yes. Um, Alexa play. I'm coming out by Diana Ross. <laughs> um, no, but like he came out last season but now he's actually in a place where he's comfortable enough to explore his sexuality. And it's actually really, really cool. Um, and it's done in a really, um, I hate to use the word normal. It's done in a very normal way. Like Lionel doesn't go from zero to 100. He really, in typical Lionel fashion, he kind of gets his toes wet first and, you know, test the waters and see what's happening. And he understands, like every person in college understands, that if you're going to explore and experiment and basically uh, find yourself, this is a really good time to do it. Exactly, exactly. Um, and uh, we have some some fun people show up, like, you know, Kid Fury from The Read. Uh, shows up to sort of educate uh, Lionel, as well as Todd Recall, who is either your god or your nemesis, depending on who you are. Um, I know, I just know that Todd Recall is very is a very divisive figure. 
Yes. Uh, and that's that's fun and, and a good time. And we we really get um, we get all of that. So the big mystery. Oh, also we get to spend some more time with Joel, who is great. Uh, and we we um and my and also my favorite Kelsey is who is the one with the dog. Yes. <laughs> uh, we spent a little, some more time with Kelsey, who I find hilarious. And then somebody kidnaps her dog. I felt so bad. Oh my gosh! First of all, what kind of sick person is out here stealing pets? And that's exactly what she says. She's like, what kind of sick person <laughs> um, uh, kidnaps? You should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself. Um, and then we also, and then we learned some cool stuff. So we also learned that like Coco and Sam actually used to be best friends. We actually learned that last season. Like Is in that a flashback. in a later, in a flashback? Okay. Yeah, I guess but yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Let's explore that. Let's talk about um, it. Because her dad dies. Her white dad dies. And she feels there's all this stuff that is brought up subsequently because of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sam, Sam's um, dad, that is. Right. And this kind of we used to be friends angle is actually one that I rarely see portrayed on television, too. And it needs to be portrayed more. A lot of people who were close have falling outs in high school and in college. And some of them never come back from that. And sometimes it's not even anyone else, anyone's fault. You just grow in separate directions. And that's rarely portrayed on television. Yeah, and in between Sam and Coco, that's essentially what it was. Like, and it's interesting. Yeah, that's that was their falling out was... Um, to they just wanted different things, and although it's really that you know we talk about this flashback episode, but it is really fascinating in that like Sam and Coco decide to rush the same sorority, and Sam essentially the same black sorority. They both rush, aka uh, Alpha Cap. They both rush to be Alpha Kappa Alphas, and Sam is given a bid because she's biracial and light and Coco is like sort of snubbed because she's dark even though Coco is the one that's sort of like trying harder to get mm-hmm. into the sorority whereas Sam doesn't particularly care she's just doing it because her friend's doing it and the sort of colorism of it is like what divides them and and you it's great because we see the falling out of this friendship but then we also get more insight into why Coco is the way she is, why she prefers to, you know, you know, be, why she, she's clearly, you know, she's part of core, but why she, her, why she has predominantly white friends. Um, I understand, like, we really get to understand Coco and, and where she's coming from. Right, right, right. And, you know, you and I have had talks about this, how, there are certain perks to being token. Yeah, the there are. And for Joelle, um, that's the token, that she gets to be singular, that she gets to be unique for a change. Because when she's in Black spaces, they pedestalize people like Sam. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of what drives Coco. Um, you said Joelle, but uh, that's, that's definitely part of what drives Coco, I think, and why that 
turn was really smart and interesting to me because it it definitely come it Keeps definitely those names oh <laughs> no it's fine it definitely feels like it's coming from a space of like well if I'm going if I can't even be in community in my own like in my if I can't be in community with black people because I'm too dark well I will and that is like the barrier and I if I'm always going to have to be searching to be something I'd rather do it amongst people that have the immediate access to things that I want out of life um which I get I'm not mad at it I'm not mad at it either. Um, get it how you love, sis. Um, and it's a really great way of reflecting on how colorism, um, I wouldn't say pushes, but certainly uh, it's a polarizing presence for dark-skinned people in the community. Right. And, and part of what makes Dear White People great is that we see how, like, it's responded to in different ways because Joelle is also like, she's put pushed aside because of Sam as well. Right. But she does not necessarily respond in the way that Coco responds mostly because Joelle wants different things out of life. Um, right. Although this season, Joelle sort of gets, gets the thing that she had been searching for, which is, which is Reggie, which I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's yeah, it's a bad thing for her. She's gonna suffer. You're gonna suffer, sis. Uh, oh, I was gonna say expand on that because I couldn't I really couldn't decide because I was like, okay, like maybe it's nice that Reggie realizes that it's been her all along. But then also it's like, wait, are you telling like is she second I mean, picked? TV likes to do this thing where it'll show you the man or woman ignoring the person that really loves them and re- is really right for them. And then at the end they'll be like, it was you all along. But I've actually never seen, heard, felt, or smelt that working out in real life. What I have <laughs> seen is that when the person eventually comes around to the person that is right for them or appears to be right for them on paper, even when they try to talk themselves into being in a relationship, what ultimately occurs is that chemistry cannot be faked and it cannot be forced. If you weren't checking for them in the beginning for a reason, and trying to force a relationship from something that should have remained a friendship often causes a lot of resentment. Yeah, well, yeah. So, and um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a trope. I, I it's a romantic like, trope. It is a romantic trope. Now, it may work out on the show because, again, it's a TV show. But I, even if it works out in the context of the show... I don't like how all of, and that's a, a, a huge gripe I have with the show, not necessarily because this isn't reflective of real life, but because I thought the show would be more self-aware than this. So many women on the show are second to Samantha in some form or fashion, and it's kind of gross. Uh, that's, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, that's, yeah, I think that's so. Yeah, so Sam da- Sam's dad dies, and we uh, it's interesting because we get like a whole sort of thing about how I guess she felt the need to hide her white parent her whole life. 
Which I feel like nobody asked her to do that, but that's okay. Like the, nobody asked you to do that, but I see it a lot. But we see it a our, lot. That's true. With our social media biracials, where they will play up their 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 black parent or their biracial parent all day long. Meanwhile, there's a whole white person who raised them, who and they act like that person is dead or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably because like, listen, I would feel away. I'll be very honest with you. If, like, me and my caucasity, and I'm not getting any sort of credit or accolades, I would feel away. <laughs> yeah, they'd be hiding those those white parents. <laughs> they keep them firmly hidden. Uh, hidden. Um, a lot of them I didn't even know until, like, it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, and they put up an obligatory post. Same. I'd be like, oh, okay, like, where is this person? Um, and no, that's so- why... I- <laughs> and that's why I really respect Drake in some sometimes because I'm like he has never been shy about his white ass Jewish ass mom. I mean, she held it down. Wasn't his daddy behind bars? I'll be damned if I raise you, especially alone, and don't get no credit either. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> so so yeah. So season two ends with uh, Tessa Thompson actually coming to. Um, Tessa Thompson comes and she's playing this sort of Candace Owens figure. And she comes to, and she, and Tessa Thompson's character uh, is great actually, because she essentially calls Sam out on who, who Sam really is and what Sam is really doing. Um, Because she, she comes to like, sort of like debate Sam and like a sort of, like crosstalk CNN type, you know, two different perspectives type of bullshit. And Sam comes to her and, and they have a conversation. And when Tessa Thompson's character sees her, who she's like, you know, I love your bit. I love um the this act that you do. And Sam was like, what? <laughs> What act? She goes, oh, like, you know, your act, like your, your little shtick, your little, your little biracial black power shtick. Like, she's like, you know, and she counsels her. She's like, you know, in two years, if you can flip it to like a podcast and then like get on CNN and then you read a book, you know, you can make this much money. And Sam is really, you know, shaken. <laughs> um, But because she didn't realize it's, you know, because Sam, I think, you know, for Sam, I think a lot of it is an act, but Sam had never really had the self-awareness to understand what a lot of what she does is an act mm-hmm. to overcompensate for other things that she feels about herself. Like the other 50% of her DNA? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do we think of season two? Is it good, bad, or basic? Uh, season two is good. It's good again. Um, like I said, I love. Oh, the also the big mystery is that like Silvio, who was who is Latinx. Mm-hmm. Big mystery that's revealed is that um about the Nazi hate messaging troll stuff is that Silvia Silvio, who is uh, the editor in chief at Lionel's paper, The Independent, and is Latinx, um, is the one that has been sending all the like the hate Nazi hate messaging. 
And he said he did it just to do it, I think. I think that was his reasoning. It was like he did it for the sake of doing it. Silvio pulled a Sabrino Claudio and was an online racist because he was bored. Yeah, like, and then also not even that. I think he says, hold on, like, he he does it because, um, no, because he says he actually believes those things. And he just, and he was just, like, angry at the Black students, which is, like, I thought it was lame. There's something to be said. The anti-Blackness in Latin, commu- in Latin communities, that, I think that's worthy of exploration and examination. I don't think this was the way to do it. I agree. I'm going to have to concur with that. Um, Or rather, it's not that I don't think this was a bad way to go about it. I just think the aftermath left a bad taste in my mouth. Same. This whole, yeah, it was me. I did it because I was angry. Like, how many times is I did something violent and hostile and dangerous and threatening because you made me mad, going to be an excuse for anti-blackness. Right. Maybe just say that you don't like the niggers. Like, I just... <laughs> I'm tired. I'm tired. This is ridiculous. And listen, I do think... And like I said, like, I really do want to... Particularly with the with the way that a lot of, I think, Latin creators, like responded in the aftermath of like the in in the heights criticism a lot of y'all really do need to get pulled up and like in and put out on front street because it was um but i don't know that this was it like anti-blackness isn't even just something you feel a lot of y'all have made it your like an entire personality trait truly and honestly um it's not even like oh yeah you know i like indian food no it's like Y'all went from that to, like, inject ghee into my blood. That is how y'all are with your anti-blackness. <laughs> it can't even be something that you feel. It's something that, like Silvio, you devote so much time and energy into articulating, like, a religion. It is, like, definitively. And it's, like, and, it ne- and you need to, and you're in a cognitive, dis- and you're in a dissonance and a denial about it. And, like, I don't know. And somebody really does need to pull you up. Like, because that was something, listen, some of the things I've read, they were like, I can't believe they expected us to cater to everybody. I'm like, this is a 50-year problem, sweetheart. Mm -hmm. This is a problem 50 years in the making. Um, What are you talking about, actually? (laughs) Because... Right. uh, Tired of everyone... uh, you know, non-black POC simultaneously hating black people, but also wanting uh, black people to meal for your communities. Yeah, like, and like spend all that time that you use actively hating us and um, put that towards your own problems. You wouldn't need black people to fix them for you. Fix them for you, and and listen, um, and so the. I mean, listen, wake it up. But the season ends, and then, so that's how the season ends, along with this really dumb thing that happens that I hate, that we'll talk about in a minute, with, um, their, like, Lionel and Sam discover, like, a secret society on campus, uh, specifically for the Black students on campus. And it's dumb, and I hated it. Um, so, yeah, but I, but I still give it a good, only because it came in at the very end. 
Yeah, agreed. I'm going to give season two a good as well. So let's talk about the most, well, not the last, but the most recent season of Dear White People, which is volume three, season three. Um, I'm just going to go right out and say that while I don't think the season is intrinsically bad, it's my least favorite thus far. Let's get into it. Well, that's interesting because I would say not to give my grade like up front, but I would say it's a it's a solid basic minus to me. Like I think the writing really suffers this season in comparison with the yeah, previous two. I'm not gonna go all the way to bad, but it's basic minus. You've been forewarned for <laughs> the certain issues I have with season three. Don't say we didn't tell you. So let's get into season three. Yeah. So um we uh so we come in where we left off with Giancarlo Esposito who has been narrating. He's been our narrator this whole time actually. Um and we see him now in the flesh uh is teaching Sam and uh Lionel about the secret society. Which, you know, you guys, it's fine to just have omniscient narrators who are have great voices and they just narrate. Like, that's, you can do that. Like, that's, that's fine. Yeah. I just want to put that out there. You don't have to always, I don't know what it is, but between this and Gossip Girl, y'all always feel like y'all got to reveal the narrators. Like, no, we're good. I get that yeah, it's just I, like a... I like a good disembodied narrator. Why does it need to be real? Why does it need to be a person? Right. Like, it's a... I, I back in beauty one time and don't know how to act. <laughs> it's a literary device. Just let it be that. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I love a disembodied narrator. Please give me that. Give me that disembodied, um, omniscient, omnipresent narrator. Give it to me. Give it to me. I'm fine. I'm good. Like, if y'all had made Gossip Girl a literal phone virus that was going on from T-Mobile, that would have been better than what we got. Listen, that would have been so much better than what we got. Oh, listen, I don't want to... I can't revisit. Um, So we see uh, Coco has, like, a new... Actually, I don't like her new wig. I don't like the... I think the color is weird on her. But, like, it, and I don't know that I like the, the, the specific bob cut. I think I'd have been more into like a like a Cleopatra bob cut on her because her forehead's really great. But we open with Coco <laughs> in her new wig, and she is uh, fucking Kurt because I guess it's nice and easy. And um, he's into her, and she's just like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to to be president of the United States. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be on my Kamala Harris. Um, of which she is, I guess, succeeding. I guess. Uh, we also open with, um, we, uh, like one of the bigger things this year is um, uh, Troy at Pastiche and sort of what, and Troy sort of running running into the struggles of being the sole black male voice at Pastiche. I do think it's lame that, like, 
it's this white well like I mean I think it's honest that it would only be Troy and then this this white girl at this predominantly white male dominated institution like magazine thing but I also but I also wish I don't know that I they would have um that it could have been like Troy and like I don't know like a a black girl I don't know yeah yeah um but that weight right of being like the only black person doing fill in the blank it it makes everything so much harder than it has to be right right it does like it puts it puts so much stress on every situation and then imposter syndrome is rearing its ugly head and then in certain situations like with pastiche you have to deal with a bureaucracy that looks nothing like you and doesn't want to represent you right exactly um we also see that now that sam has like fully embraced her her white man and her you know her white daddy she has sort of left the the campus the the specifically the black campus organizing stuff and um joey I, that's not his name it's, it's Al. A- I don't know why I was calling him Joey. That's dumb. Al, who was always goofy, is now, like, what happened to all of our sort of, you know, protesting Black causes and really um, getting out here and fighting for what we want on campus? And he's sort of now alone in that. Um, and listen, Sam kind of pulling back from activism work, it's it's also kind of telling, like, because we all hit that burnout, right? It's honestly thankless. It's incredibly draining. It's incredibly taxing physically and mentally. Um, I can understand someone not wanting to add that stress to their college experience. Yeah. um, Yeah. Like, and I guess this is where uh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, that's that's it that's all I had that's I think that's where I'm at um so you you have that uh okay so then so let's talk about and then you know Joelle and Reggie are all loved up Mm -hmm. so let's talk about this season something that Gabe does that the show completely lets him off for so Gabe who is a grad student applies for a film scholarship specifically for people of color to get like your, cause he essentially Gabe's parents cut him off. Mm-hmm. Either they cut him off or he goes broke for some, or their his parents go broke for some reason. So now Gabe has to get out here and get money on his own. And he, does not have enough money to fund his graduate thesis film. So he applies for a scholarship speci- specifically reserved for people of color. And he checks the box that he's Native American. Mm-hmm. He then gets the scholarship. Um, he Yeah, he gets the scholarship. And... When Sam finds out, she's just kind of like, eh. And the show does not, like, interrogate him or talk about how, or really emphasize how what 
how fucked up what he did was. What he did, that how that was. Yeah. I Where's Terry from Rutherford Falls when you need him? Let me tell you something. Terry would be about that action. Both of these characters disgusted me here. What what's what Gabe did was disgusting, although not at all surprising. But Sam's response to it was deeply distressing. Same. It was really distressing. And I I don't it was distressing. <laughs> it's one thing, it's it's and it because it's one thing if she wants to like put down activism, like if she wants to sort of, she doesn't really want to organize on campus anymore. And she just kind of wants to be, it's a, it's one thing for that. It's another thing to have a very calm, even sort of, cause she like even pokes fun at him for it. Like in a, not in like a, you suck kind of way, but in like a, we're a couple and this is funny way. It's another thing to totally think that um, uh, your your white boyfriend specifically taking away an opportunity reserved for people of color just because his mommy and daddy went broke is not the most disgusting thing. Like, to me, that would be grounds for, like, breaking up. I've always had issues with Sam in this relationship specifically because the relationship brings out so many layers of hypocrisy with her. But there's just no getting around the fact that for all of her bold and bad activism talk, here we are with you making allowances for a colonizer to continue present day colonialism. Yeah, like with that, like what he does is it's really fucked up. Um, it's it's fucked up in the shows, and it's and this is when and I remember this along with sort of the Muffy storyline, um, which we'll get to in a minute. Was when I was like, as a white person show running the show now, I was like, did just because I was like, because I know Justin Simeon got busy, I. Yvette Lee Browser was is the one that was show running this, but it seemed like she was doing it in like it she was co-running it with Justin Simeon. And I was like, did Yvette leave and Justin leave? And then this was given to like a white person? This show, like, because this feels re- like some real white shit. It was giving me very white. Um very white. And, and that, and that goes to, and then, so now subsequently we're talking about, so then I guess the other, and it was just distressing and I hated it. So then the other big thing that happens, uh, is this Muffy storyline where Reggie is making, made this app essentially, Reggie's like super hyper depressed. And so he made this app to sort of like help him manage that better, help himself manage his depression better. Uh, and, um, he and they're in this black tech guy who's played by oh my gosh, not me forgetting this icon's name. Um and he is an icon. Oh god, here we go. <laughs> Blair Underwood. I was like, why what am I yes. doing? Yeah, um, and so Blair Underwood is like a tech guy from Silicon Valley who's interested in Reggie's app and is helping him. 
and comes to Winchester to help him further develop it. And he, while he is there, he rapes Muffy. Yes. Muffy is Coco's, like, white friend. And she's in, she's been in previous seasons. And he rapes her. And then the whole thing becomes about, like, this, you know, of, like, you know, trying to interrogate misogyny uh, within just, like, trying to, you know, talk about, like, rape on campus. So it's not that I hate, I, but it's it's complicated, or the show tries to both sides it and complicates it by specifically having Blair Underwood, this black man, rape this white girl. Um, in no universe would a white woman accusing a black man of rape like not, uh, not peter out in her favor. It just wouldn't. Right. Like, even though... In, I take it seriously. They, yeah, it would be taken very seriously. And the show is dumb and dishonest for pretending that it wouldn't be. Like, um, and because that is kind of the conceit when it comes to white women and Black obsession, Black men's, you know, preeminent obsession with them. It's like, sure, but, like, when the roosters come to call, like, they will come to call. Like... Um, like you can, and it's kind of a culturally understood thing that like, you can do a lot of things. You cannot like treat white women shitty because that is going to not, that's, you're not, whatever happens, that's not going to work out well for you as a black man. And it doesn't matter. She can be poor. She can be a poor white woman. She can be ugly. She's white. Your shit's going to, your shit's going to get rocked. Right. I mean, listen, even in the case of what is his name, the director of of Nate of Birth of a Nation, Nate Parker. And, listen, the only one to be successfully canceled. And yes. And here's the thing. He he didn't serve any prison time for that. And the reason he didn't serve any prison time for that was because the girl he raped is someone he used to date. And she admitted on the stand that she had previously had consensual sex with him the week prior. And uh, in the jury's eyes, this canceled out the fact that he could then force himself on her a week later. Um, he was canceled on his like campus and he transferred schools and that was the bulk of his punishment until this was brought to the forefront many, many years later. His friend who was there um, and also raped her, he got 18 months. This is very, very, very little time. And the, the victim in question ended up committing suicide years down the line because she never um, was able to um, really heal from this trauma. However, this is the exception. This is not the rule. The rule is if a white woman says that a man of, uh, a white woman says that a man of color raped her, he's going to get the maximum sentence possible. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, and as rare as it as false rape allegations are, most false rape allegations are from white women to men of color. Right, and then also, and then this. So then that's one. So two that really irked me was the was that like here is a show that's predominantly about that is about black people and black 
kids at this um at this predominantly white campus this was the perfect i think medium um to address how black men will rape black women and nothing fucking happens nothing fucking happens and yet it's like but why don't we se-? and yet the show is like but what if we centered this white girl instead and that he's gonna not get sit well with me I agree because we know she's going to get justice and she deserves that. And we know that, but the, the argument that's consistently being made is what happens when women of color are raped, specifically black women in black spaces by black men, those voices are drowned out. Do you know why Bill Cosby's in prison? Because he raped a bunch of white women. Listen, wake it up. Speak on that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like there's no getting around this. He has forced himself on black women in the past. And there were some that, uh, like two, maybe that came forth from the trial, but Bill Cosby was raping his way through his high schools and colleges before he had access to white women. Right. And it was Um, fine. And he thought he could get away with it for as long as as he did because he had already gotten away with it for so long. In fact, his own daughter was raped by Mike Tyson. And he told, when she told him, he told her in her own words, quote, she should not go to the police and ruin a quote, good black man's life. Right. I think in, and and that's, and see that dynamic is specifically, and that is like a lot of what is, used against black women who want to report like sexual trauma or want to report rape, right? Is it's like, well, you're, you're bringing down black men or you're hurting black men in some material way. You're feeding black men to, to the criminal justice system. So therefore like you need to just as a black woman, you need to just be, you need to find another way to deal with that shit or find another way to, to fix it. Because like what you, sir, that's what happened to her. They really threw that lady under the bus to preserve this man's career because he was a black judge and he was about to get on the Supreme Court. Right. Yeah. Anita Hill. And so it's so and that's that was what was really, I think, angering to me is that like, you know, yeah, like you. Why is this white girl being centered in racial trauma as if rape does not happen to black women as if we're not raped at higher rates because oh by the way we are than white women by the way Mm -hmm. i think the only group that surpasses us is like native american women like not natives um because people will literally like do that leave the reservation they know like like the law the jurisdiction will not prosecute so that puts them in an in an increasingly vulnerable position but that's the the up and down of it i'm not saying a black woman cannot be raped um especially um you know by black man it happens it happens every day i'm saying even if they are at a pwi um especially because they're at a pwi the odds of her being believed over this black man are astronomical yeah like she yeah she she not only that but i think she muffy is the show earlier codes are like she's she's a legacy of some sort sort. Every fee is a legacy. <laughs> she well, Gabe, I don't think is, but like he's just rich. But like Muffy is somehow um her 
her parents gave money to something at the school. So, like, yeah, if she says that this black guy that the school brought in to help mentor Reggie or whatever is raped her, like, they're going to be like, well, they're going to believe her. They're going to take that shit so fucking seriously. I've never met a white girl named Muffy who didn't have money, period. Period. You're white and you got money? It's a wrap. It's an open and shut case. Um, and I get that, like, part of the the Blair Underwood storyline is to examine about, like, what happens when our heroes fail us. Because that's definitely, like, the, the theme of this season, um, which we get, like, in another character, uh, which we get with um, when uh, Sam meets her hero. But, like, this wasn't it. They needed, I wish they would have, they didn't need to center this white girl to do it. I wish they would have just, I wish it had been, like, um, a black girl instead to examine that. Because, like, and how that goes completely unpunished and un, unrecognized um, to highlight to highlight that situation. Because I think that would have been. hmm yeah, and listen, I'm not, I'm not, we're not calling for the sexual trauma of black women on screen. No. And if that's what the show was trying to get away from, I understand that. But there's a whole other point to be made about misogyny, misogyny within the black community, misogynoir within the black community that we were unable to make. Yeah, and that we were unable to make and that we don't make. Like, we don't make. Like, honestly, and it's, like, and that we don't touch on or, like, we pretend doesn't exist. Um, And then also, and then listen, like, this Muffy thing is, like, it happens throughout the whole season. Like, it's, it starts, I think the, the rape happens in the first episode, and it, it's a, it's a storyline throughout the whole season, all the way to episode nine. So, like, it took up a lot of space. And, like, it's. And honestly, like, it feels, it doesn't feel good that you can hold all this space on a predominantly Black show about Black people for this white woman, but you don't have that energy for Black women. And <laughs> particularly when you consider that Joelle's Hotep episode, uh, that, that I think is about black male misogynoir or is about misogynoir only gets one episode like that did not sit right in my spirit i mean i'm not mad that i only got one episode um i i am glad that this this got as much traction as it did because rape is a serious thing but i honestly feel like this is a pwi these are black students involved in black activism there were two ways to go about this you could have had the black woman be sexually assaulted by a black man. Then you can make a, a whole, a, you could have a whole conversation about misogyny, misogynoir, internalized racism within the community. Or you could have her assaulted by a white man. And then we could have a conversation about misogyny, racial and socioeconomic power imbalances, and how this keeps rape victims from receiving justice in, the, in a court of law. Because Muffy was going to get her justice one way or the other. Um, yeah, like, ultimately, yeah, my, and I, that's true. And either, and I would have preferred either of those two centering 
this because the point is is that this show it is a PWI but it it centers the show centers these black students. Mm-hmm. It's an, it is about this community within a community. Um, if we had one of these racists like force themselves or try to force themselves on a on a black girl, it would have been honestly on brand. This is very common in racist spaces, fetishization of black people and other people of color. It's on brand. Rape being used as a silencing mechanism and a tool of control is also on brand. How did y'all how did y'all miss this opening? And honestly, the quote unquote good guys and nice guys like Gabe be the main ones perpetrating this type of thing. Yeah, that would have been an interesting more more uh that have been it's just been more interesting. I would have preferred it, but instead I I had to see not one like I had to see two essentially black not one not two but multiple black female characters uh decentered for the, the the plight of this white girl and that 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 didn't sit that like I said that doesn't sit right in my spirit um also when did we decide that Blair Underwood was going to be the villain is it because he did Medea's family reunion maybe yeah, I think that's when he started like getting typecast as well. <laughs> um, also, the season makes a defense for like Tyler Perry, which is interesting. Uh, I think he's a defensible person. Like he, there's a lot of gray with Tyler, but he's done a lot. Um, and I think unlike some people, <laughs> Lee Daniels, um, there's not the constant reliance on trauma porn and calling it art. So, I yeah. mean, <laughs> I think that that also is in itself debatable, but, um, but yeah, there's a lot of love. Oh, also Laverne Cox. Yeah. Like I, so like I said, the theme definitely is like, uh, our heroes fail us. And, um, that comes to a head for Sam when she meets her favorite director, Laverne, uh, played by Laverne Cox. Um, who is this celebrated black director, a la a, a female Spike Lee, if you will? That's what the show is coding her to be. Um, is a female Spike Lee, and she watches. She becomes Sam's mentor um, through the college. So they become Sam's mentor, and she watches Sam's film, and she essentially like rips it apart uh, with nothing uh, nice or constructive to say. Um, sort of just annoyed that just, yeah, just generally annoyed that this, she's like, why are you trying to be me? I think she says something to that effect. And then Sam finds, I guess, true mentorship uh, with the Tyler Perry character played by Justin Simeon. Um, And I guess Justin Simeon's supposed to, is trying to say something about, you know, Mm-hmm. how you find a mentorship in unlikely places. So I don't know if he and Tyler are friends or what he's trying to say. So but, she uh, and her mentor basically said, uh, Trick didn't vouch for you. Trick only vouch for, vouch for one bitch, the baddest bitch, and that's me. <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, that was hard to watch because I'm like, Okay, maybe her little her little movie is trash, but damn, sis. <laughs> right? You ain't got you don't have to be like that. Like oh well. Um oh also we meet Coco's mom. 
Yeah, that's fun. Which is fun. Uh, played by Yvette uh, Lee. Oh my God, not Yvette, not Yvette Lee Browser. Um, Yvette Brown. Uh, Yvette Nicole Brown. That's who. Um, who uh, played Shirley in Community. Love her. And she's really, and it's interesting. Like, it's interesting. Um, it's yeah, it's just an interesting dynamic because we see because we it's the first time we we see her mom because we hear Coco's mom a lot, and we know that Coco has like a weird like has a like comes from like poverty. Like I think not poor. Like I, it's just probably like working poor. I want to say maybe. Working poor, working class family. Mm, right. Um, I want to say like a lower middle class, probably. Yeah. Yeah, like we're working, working poor, working class. Uh, and Koga has like you know twenty billion brothers and sisters. One of those um, with her mom, who's like super super country, and uh, her she has she introduces her mom to her white friends for the first time, and it goes over. It's just, it's a, it's, the dynamics of it are just really interesting and, and layered because, um, like we said, Coco is on a social, she's attempting to, to climb that social class, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's had to, you know, you sacrifice a lot when you do that, um, including, but it's, but it's interesting because I never got the fact that, like, I never got that Coco was necessarily ashamed of her parents, of her, of her mother. She mm-hmm. just knew that they did not fit into where she was trying to go in life. If that makes sense. I agree with that. Like, she's like, listen, this was a chapter of my life, but I, I want it to be just that. I want it to be a chapter. I don't want it to be the rest of my life. Yeah. In fact, she, it's interesting because the dynamic actually really reminds me a lot of some people in my own family, my specifically my my aunt and like I think her kids. I don't know what season four has in store. I mean, I know it has, you know, those pretentious musicals. Like I said, from the time you guys are listening, it will have been released a day ago. Tell us if we're tell us if we jump to conclusions on season four. I would like to know. I would like to know as well. Honestly, like I said, I think the the truth of it to me at least is that the writing progressively became worse and more clumsy as it went on mm-hmm. and i don't see in final seasons are such a strange thing because like one or two things happen with final seasons either shows turn it around and they have like a tour de force final season right or they um or they have like or it's just it's you know the season's mad clumsy the writing gets even clumsier and it's, you know, it gives the, the it's big senioritis energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My feeling is that Dear White People is in the, is in the latter of those categories, but you know, Hey, like I, I don't, I don't mind being proven wrong, but we'll see. Yeah. And honestly, you guys don't have to do much to turn it around. Take us back to season two. You don't have to like, you don't have to do like a, a a drastic, you know, reading of the map going in a different way. Just do a U-turn. Just do a U-E. Do a U-E. But yeah, like you, so 
all in all, I think Dear White People is fine. Um, there's a lot of, it's a pastiche <laughs> of a lot of different elements and a lot of different shows that I see in it. Um, there's, a, like you said, there's like higher learning light. There definitely feels like a lot has been taken from like a different world. Um, I see like um, some even skins energy in, in Dear White People, which I really like. Um, and all in all, I know Justin Simeon's latest effort has not been received well, but I, but I definitely think, but you know, you can't always have a hit and I, I look forward to, to what he will do beyond, um, his latest, uh, feature. Same, same, same. Um, listen, I don't expect perfection from these shows. Dear white people did a lot of good things. But with the Muffy storyline in season three, um, which, like I said, I wish it hadn't centered that character, although the topic is something that definitely needed attention. So I'm not 100% mad at it. But the Gabe pretending to be Native American for a scholarship storyline that was glossed over was completely vomitrocious. It was. There needed to be a fallout, and there wasn't. No excuse for it. (laughs) There's no excuse. It's big, like... And that's what I'm saying, like... And I do think it's significant that Justin Simeon was heavily involved in season one and season two. Like, he has, like, episode writing credits on, like, five, six of the episodes. And then in season three, like, he has virtually zero. He's... I mean, he has executive producer credit, obviously still but he's not like writing those episodes like he was in season one and i feel like and that shows. <laughs> i know and, and, and exactly and i was like and it shows to be quite honest yeah it definitely shows but listen i'm optimistic for season four not optimistic enough to watch i'm optimistic enough for y'all to watch and tell me what you think about it listen but, i don't you know keep know. Alive or whatever. folks this is everything that we think made dear white people good bad basic and socially relevant if you'd like to check out the series dear white people is streaming on netflix if you've enjoyed this episode of the good the bad the basic be sure to share it with your friends and with that we officially wrap up the off to college season of the good the bad the basic thank you all for listening and joining us as we discussed the friendships growth romance and drama of the college years we hope that you've enjoyed season 12 of gbb as much as we have em and i will be returning next week with season 13 of the good the bad the basic heroes and legends this season we'll be discussing household names heroes of folklore and comic book legends we've got smallville we've got heroes we've got all your fucking faves um appropriately we'll be kicking things off with a recap of nbc's hit superhero drama heroes heroes is currently streaming for free on nbc.com and their streaming site peacock so get into it you don't want to miss out on this conversation
Yes, we'll be talking about Heroes, Smallville, Winona Earp, among many, many others. So uh, get get prepared. Get your get your it get your affairs in order. Get ready to binge, and we will put out a list on our Twitter page of all of the shows that will be getting discussed in season thirteen. The good, the bad, the basic is currently streaming on all major podcast platforms. So be sure to tune in to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Follow us at the Good Bad Basic on Twitter and at Good Bad Basic pod on instagram to get in on our daily content also be sure to follow our soundcloud page the good the bad the basic where our weekly episodes debut if you love this sort of content and want more become a show producer and patron over on patreon you can find us at patreon.com forward slash good bad basic you can also check out our dear white people playlist which is currently uploaded and uh check out all the great music that was featured on this series Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone.